We're in the fourth week of a series that we've been calling Emotions. And talking about the different emotions that we go through. And we really live in a day and time where there's no easier time to express our emotions. I mean, even social media is kind of geared towards whatever we post, we respond by the emotion that it's making us feel. And we kind of went from never talking about our emotions to maybe even possibly talking too much about our emotions. Talking about where our emotions become an excuse to not live out our purpose. Our emotions become an excuse for our marriage falling apart, our relationships falling apart. Our emotions become an excuse to not have a job. We, we went from never talking about emotions to basically being consumed with emotions because that seems to be what we tend to do. We go from one extreme to the other extreme instead of learning to deal with whatever topic it is that we're dealing with, dealing with it with balance. The Bible talks a lot about our emotions. The Bible talks a lot about the internal way we feel. And the Bible does a really good job of showing us the biblical way to deal with the emotions that we're feeling. Because the reality is your emotions are valid. Don't let anybody ever tell you that the way you feel is wrong. Now, the way you're handling how you feel may be wrong. But your emotion is real. If you're angry, that's a valid emotion. The Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. So we can have an emotion, but then we can be sinful in how we deal with that emotion. So over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about anger. We've talked about sadness. We've talked about stress, anxiety. I don't know about you, but I think today's topic is one of those topics that we need a constant reminder of. We're going to talk about happiness today. Yeah. We live in a day and time where it seems like happiness is in short supply. It seems like we live in a day and time where we don't want to be happy. Therefore, we don't want anyone else to be happy. It seems like every TV show, every documentary, every news Cast everything we listen to today is all about sucking the happiness right out of you. Miserable people love to be around miserable people. Miserable people keep striving for something that's unattainable, and we live in a day and time where it just seems like happiness is not around. I don't know about you, but I think we could use a little happiness in our lives. I mean, let's just be honest, with the economy like it is, with the job market like it is, with marriages like they are, the stress of day-to-day living, it it would just be good to learn that life is not always going to be mountaintop experiences. And if you're depending on mountaintop experiences to bring you happiness, you're going to find yourself lacking in the area of happiness. Let me also educate you on something that has nothing to do with this sermon today. But let me go ahead and get it out of the way. It is nobody else's job to make you happy. Husband, it is not your job for you to make your wife happy. Wife, it is not your job to make your husband happy. Kids, not. We look for all these things. We we look to money to make us happy. The problem is there's not always money. We look to cars to make us happy. We look to our children to make us happy. They say the number one age group that uh, marriages start falling apart is the empty nest parents. They've spent their whole life living through their children, finding their happiness in their children that they don't know what to do when the children grow up and they move away because suddenly they realize they're married to someone that the last 18 to 20 years they don't even know. That's why God sets it up in the order. It's God, marriage, children. This isn't even a, a sermon on parenting, but let me tell you the goal in parenting. The goal in parenting is very simple. To raise your children 
to leave. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his spouse. It's our job to raise our children to leave. Some of you baby your children so... We might not even get to the sermon on happiness today. Some of you baby your children so much they're never going to leave. That's why you got grown men... Back that up. That's why you got grown children still living in your basement. You don't want them to leave because if they leave, then you have to face the reality you're stuck with your spouse who you haven't enjoyed in 20 years. Man, I don't understand. When I was growing up, and I, I have hit the age now in life where I can use the phrase, when I was growing up. Back in my day, I couldn't wait to turn 18 and move out. The thought of being 25, 26-year-old living in my parents' basement just didn't make... I, I, I never heard of something like that. But I look at the kids nowadays, why would they leave? Mommy coddles them. They're 26-year-old titty babies. I don't think you ought to use that phrase. What else do you call them? No wonder they leave home and you have miserable parents. Happiness. I like how I got back around to tying that in. It's in short supply. Man. Everything that we're surrounded by is just zap your happiness. We're going to hang out today in the book of Philippians. Theologians call it the happiest book in the Bible. And I think this is an appropriate sermon because, you know, we live in what I believe is the greatest country in the world. We live in a country that is so great that it was founded on the sole purpose of giving people the opportunity to find happiness. Think about it in the Declaration of Independence. One of the most popular phrases in all the document is life, liberty, and the pursuit of of happiness. We live in a country where you're promised life. We live in a country where you are promised, contrary to popular belief, liberty. We live in a country where you're promised not happiness, because nobody can make somebody else happy, but you're promised the opportunity to pursue happiness. Life guaranteed. Liberty guaranteed. Happiness, eh, but you can work for it. You can pursue it. Happiness, if you want it, it's up to you. The opportunity's there. Or you can do what the large majority of society does, and you can be miserable. I actually had someone recently tell me, I just think most people in life are sad. Then you're hanging out with the wrong people. I, 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 I don't feel that way at all. You've heard me say it 10 million times. I have more fun asleep than most people have awake. I get home last night, my body's hurting, I pop four Advil, I lay in bed. And for the next six hours, I just kind of moaned. I kept waking myself up. My body was hurting my, because I'm old. I'm fat. I'm out of shape. I walked 13.3, I can't remember, miles yesterday on asphalt, according to my watch. All around, everywhere, I was hurting. And as I laid in bed moaning, therefore I was not sleeping, caught myself just smiling thinking about how good God is to me. Had a great event. My beautiful, gorgeous wife, who I have no idea where she's at, was snoring next to me. I mean, not snoring. Peacefully sleeping next to me. I'm laying there. 
And all of a sudden, the dog is making a weird noise, and I know, man, he is dreaming about chasing a cat. And he's happy. And life's good. We live in a country where we get the opportunity to pursue happiness. And we pursue it. People look everywhere for happiness. The problem is they look in all the wrong places. They look to their job for happiness. They look to their finances for happiness. They look to good times for happiness. They look to their spouse for happiness. They look to their friends for happiness. You name it, and people are looking at it for happiness. There's people who literally can't be happy unless they have a drink in their hand. There's people who literally who can't be happy unless they're influenced by some kind of narcotic. So you're anti-drinking? No. But if that's what brings you happiness, no wonder you're not happy. Because the problem with looking to things are people is those things go away quickly. I remember there was a big push there for a while to come up with your five-year plan. I want many of you to think back to five years ago. I want you to think about the things that were in your life five years ago and ask yourself, are they still in your life today? Most of you don't have the same job you had five years ago. You're not in the same financial situation. Hopefully, you still have the same spouse. But a lot of you don't even have the same spouse. I don't mean that in a mean way. Been there, done that. I understand. I'm not judging you at all. I'm just simply saying life changes quickly. And if you're looking to things or people or circumstances to bring you happiness, your happiness is going to be fleeting. We look to all of these things for happiness, yet we live in a day and time where we're some of the most unhappiest people around. Because we're looking in the wrong places. We allow things to make us happy. I mean, literally something as simple as the weather. But the funny thing about the weather is, is that makes us unhappy too, and we're never happy. We don't like it when it's cold. We don't like it when it's rainy. I do events for a living, so I have vendors from all over. And every October I do events. I don't like the October events. A little cold. And then yesterday I did an event, and those same vendors were like, I just don't like it when it's hot. So you just don't like life, basically. Like, we're never happy. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's too rainy. Boy, it hasn't rained in forever. It's killing my grass. I mean, weather dictates our happiness. We've allowed people, things, and circumstances to dictate it. We're depending on others for our happiness, and we wonder why we're not happy. Now, based on the logic of happiness, and based on the logic of being what theologians call the happiest book in all the Bible, you would think the book of Philippians was written in a happy place. You would think Paul wrote it while he's sitting in a bubble bath. Well, the can- I love a bath now. Listen, bath is a bone of contention in the Lamb House because I'll take a three-hour bath every night. And let me ask you, I, I, I'll light a can- I won't light one candle. I'll light, like literally, Christine, because you, you have literally burned up every candle in the bathroom. I'm bougie. I'm going to light up all them candles. I'm going to put, listen, Christine will call, I'm at Walmart. You need, most men are like, I need some deodorant, some this. I'm like, I need some bubble bath. And don't get the fancy bubble bath that don't make no bubbles. I want the Mr. Bubbles bubble bath that's going to make the bubbles all big. And then it's funny. Women post a picture in the bubble bath of their legs. Oh, relaxing. Guys are like, oh, sexy. I post a picture in the bubble bath of my legs sticking out from the bubbles. And it's like vomit emojis. Like, oh, I don't want to see. Sexist is what we are. But you would think that's where the book of Philippians was written, in a bubble bath. You would think he was riding a unicorn through a field of sunflowers, through a rain of bubbles. I mean, at the minimum, you would think, man, he just got done with a great victory in life. And life is good. And Paul sat down and he wrote the book of Philippians. 
the happiest book in all the Bible. But he actually wrote it while he was in prison. He actually wrote it, theologians believe, after he'd been in prison for this stint about five years. They believe there was about a 10-year period leading up to Paul's execution where he was in and out of prison for preaching the gospel. Not prison like we think. There was no windows in this prison. No bed in this prison. No table in this cell. No chairs. It was actually a deep stone cave with a small opening at the top where he could have contact with the outside world and they could drop food down to him. Paul had been there about five years. He would ultimately be beheaded. And yet while he's sitting in prison, waiting for his execution, he wrote the happiest book in all the Bible. Four short chapters where he talks about rejoicing 11 times in four chapters. He talks about joy five times. 16 references to being happy and joy while he's sitting in a prison cell awaiting execution. Paul knew something very important. He knew knew something that we need to learn. He knew that happiness doesn't come from circumstances. So much to cover in this book. I've done series on this book, actually. Spent four, five, six weeks going verse by verse almost to this book. We're going to try to sum it up in one sermon today. Because I, I believe the key to happiness is learning where true happiness comes from. And I believe if we could ever experience true happiness and true joy, it would literally change our life. He starts, we'll start about chapter 1, verse 12. He's writing a church, he's writing a letter to the church at Philippi. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, I love this, he starts off in prison with some pleasantries. And, and he says, I want you to know some things. What he's doing here is he's setting the record straight. Paul's heard some rumblings. I know you find that hard to believe that Christ followers would gossip. But there had been some grumbling and some rumbling about Paul. He said, I want to set the record straight. He says, I I want to let you know something. He he said, you probably have heard some things about my time in prison. (laughs) Let me tell you how bad gossip is. We're going to rabbit trail all day today, baby. So last week, Toby Bates, who goes to our church, I love Toby. Toby writes on Facebook, just got out of the hospital. Been in the hospital 15 days or something like that. So I respond to Toby. I said, dude, I didn't know you were in the hospital. Why didn't you let your pastor know? Toby responds back, hey, pastor, no big deal, man. No, you've been busy. No, you've been slammed. Didn't want to bother you. I respond back to Toby. Dude, in my pastoral way, next time you go to the hospital and don't let me know, I'm going to kick your ass. Within two minutes, the Facebook bot had seen it. And suspended my account for bullying. I get it. No, I get it. It's a bot. It read it. It's a bot. It doesn't know. So you can click for a review. When you click for a review, you get a human in a chat. How can I help you? I said, hey, here was a circumstance. This guy goes to my church. He's went to my church for years. I was totally joking with him. Mr. Lamb, we don't take bullying as a joke here at Facebook. I said, but can't you read and tell that it was totally tongue-in-cheek? He responded back with a smiley face. A lot of times, victims of bullying will respond that way. So they suspend my account for 24 hours. I don't care if they suspended my account. Here's the funny thing. That was on a Monday. Tuesday night, I'm at the market, and someone says, heard you guys suspended on Facebook. I said, yeah, I did. Did you hear why? Yeah, man, I heard you were threatening people on Facebook. I said, you heard what? Yeah, man, you probably need to watch what you say. I heard you were threatening people. I said, who'd you hear that from? Well, I knew who they'd heard it from. Because there's like, no offense, every church has got that gossip. I knew immediately, because I knew who they were and who they hang out with, who that gossip was. 
I said, so what did you hear? You heard that I was joking, right? No, that ain't the way they took it. They took it as you were being serious. I said, so that person who's went to our church for 12 years knows everything there is to know about took it that way or they were just gossiping that way. It got so bad that the husband of the wife who's telling this snaps on the wife. That's ridiculous. All y'all do is sit around and gossip. Gossip about your pastor when it's all out there for the world. And Christine posted what happened. That's pitiful. You're pitiful. I know you're not here today says you're watching on Facebook. You're pitiful. But here's what I want you to do. I said that to say this. I said that to say this. I get what Paul was experiencing. You know why Paul's in jail? You know what he did? Here's what he did. He was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They didn't like that because they crucified Jesus. They thought they'd ended this Jesus movement. Paul's preaching about it, and they throw him in jail. He says, I want to set the record straight. Let me speak on these things. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, he said, I want you to know what has happened is this. Now, what happened? Oh, man, Paul. So much had happened to Paul. So much had happened to Paul. This wasn't just about Paul being in prison. He's saying, what has happened to me over the course of my life, what happened? Let, let, let's go read about it. 2 Corinthians 11. This is Paul speaking. He said, are they servants of Christ? He said, I know I sound like a madman, but I've served him far more. <laughs> Look what he lays out here. It's Paul speaking. He said, I've worked harder. He said, I've been put in prison more often. I've been whipped times without number. He said, I, I get it. They want to complain about serving Jesus. I've been thrown in prison more than anybody. He said, they have literally beaten me for spreading the gospel. He said, I have faced death again and again. He said, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Five times. He said, what has happened to me, all these bad things, he said, three times I was beaten with rods. Once, let me clarify this for you, Action Church. Once I was stoned. That means they threw rocks at him, not to what you're thinking. Check this out. Paul has got bad luck. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at the sea. He said, I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced dangers from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people. Man, that's the most wicked people. The Jews as well as the Gentiles. I have faced dangers in the cities, in the deserts, in the sea. He said, man, everywhere I go, I face danger because I'm talking about Jesus. I have worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty. I've gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. And he said, besides all of that, I had this daily burden of concern for all the churches out there. Paul said, everything that's happened to me, I want to speak on those things. <laughs> Even though I've been through all of these things for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, if anybody shouldn't have been happy, it should have been Paul. You think your life stinks? Walk in Paul's shoes. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, dude is a pimp, has actually served to advance the gospel. He said, all these horrible things have happened, but I'm cool. Because the gospel, you say, you keep saying this word gospel, the gospel is simply the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. He said, the good news of Jesus Christ ha has carried on. <laughs> That's powerful. He says, it's okay that I've went through all these things. You'd expect me to be negative. You would expect me to be down. You'd expect me to be depressed. But the gospel is advancing because of these things, and I'm okay with it. Yes, I'm in prison, but I'm advancing the gospel. What has happened to me sucks, but I'm advancing the gospel. What's happened to me is unfair. It's unfair. Yeah, it is. Nowhere will you promise for life to be fair. God, quit buying the lies. He 
says, I'm doing what God's called me to do. So I find myself happy. He says, as a result, as a result of what? All the things he's went through. Because the gospel's advancing. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard. I'm going to get to this in a minute. This is great stuff. And to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord all the more to proclaim the gospel. He said, because I'm in chains, they know in the castle all about Jesus. Because I'm in chains, more people are more excited and more less fearful of spreading the gospel. Paul's been through all of this, and yet he's rejoicing, talking about happiness, talking about joy, and being happy. So we need to get to the root of how he can do that. Because our natural inclination is to be negative about life. Sadness comes natural. It's very rare you meet someone where happiness comes natural. It's not work to be sad. It's work to be happy. Especially when circumstances aren't going the way we wanted them to go. In life, circumstances are not always going to go the way you want them to go. So do you become happy? Do you choose happiness? Or do you default to sadness? So here's my question for you today. Before we get to those things, I want you to have it at the forefront of your mind. What's stealing your joy today? What's stealing your joy? What is it that is causing you to default to sadness? Maybe you're in a loveless marriage. It didn't start off loveless, but over the years it's evolved to something or your roommates. Maybe you have children who are rebellious. Your relationship is not what you want. I don't know what it is today, but I want you to. I want you to think about it. I want to pop in there. Maybe you're dealing with a physical ailment. Maybe you got a bad ticker, a bad back, I don't know. Bad ear, I don't, I don't know. Physical ailment. I'll meet with a gentleman tomorrow, and we'll sit in my office, and we will plan his funeral. I dread it. I've grown to love this guy over the last two and a half years he's been going to this church. But his time's coming to an end and he wants some things solidified. Yet I watched him walk around yesterday. What do you call it when your body starts to turn yellow? Yeah, I watched him walk around yesterday, literally grinning from ear to ear. Sent me a text. Sent me a text in the middle of my festival. He said, look up there by the... He's never sent me a text like this, so I was very intrigued. He said, Sit, look up there by the stage and check out that sexy woman dancing. I said, what? I looked over. It was his wife up by the stage dancing. In the midst of facing death, he has joy. Because happiness is a choice. Maybe you're in a financial mess. I don't know what it is. Paul was in prison for his faith. Maybe your faith is stealing your joy because your family don't understand your faith. I don't know, but I want it at the forefront of your mind. I don't know the circumstances. I don't know this. I'm going to fly through these points today. But I want this at the forefront of your mind. Because every time I give a point, I want you to be able to access what it is that's stealing your joy. I don't know the circumstances today that are robbing you. I don't know whether they're self-induced, because sometimes the mess in our life is self-induced. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're the actions of others. I don't know what it is. But what is robbing you of your joy? Because I'm going to show you how you can find happiness in the midst of it. In prison... Among the beatings, Paul learned something that enabled him to have joy. See, we need to understand this principle right here. If you don't take any pictures, take a picture of this. Our happiness has nothing to do with what is happening to us, but everything to do with what God is doing in us and through us. See, the question is not what's happening to me. The question is, what is God trying to teach me in this time? What is God trying to do to shape me? 
mold me? What lesson of faith is God trying to instill in me that down the road I'll be able to learn and return to somebody else? What mess am I going through that God's going to use down the road for my greatest ministry? You're too worried about what's happening to you instead of what God's doing through you. And that's why you can't find happiness. Paul said, I don't have to find joy where I am in prison. But bless God, I'm going to find joy. If I look at my circumstances, they don't make me happy. But I look what God's doing through my circumstances. And the castle knows about me. And people are being bold. And I find happiness in it. You need to understand something today. You don't have to have all the bills paid to be happy. Good news, huh? That's a good thing to have the bills paid. Let me make that clear. If you don't have all your bills paid, I encourage you to sign up for the next financial peace class because you should. But I don't have to have my bills paid to have happiness. You don't have to wait for the job offer to come through to find happiness. You don't have to wait for your spouse to be what you think they ought to be to find happiness. I don't got to wait for my children to act right to find happiness. I don't have to wait till I have a nicer car to find happiness. Because you know the problem with a nicer car? A nicer one always comes out. I don't got to wait for the house to sell to have happiness. I don't got to wait for a raise to have happiness. Now, all those things are great. I'm all about the house selling, the nicer car, the raise. But I'm not about those things dictating my happiness. My happiness cannot be determined by what is happening to me, but it needs to be determined by what Christ is doing through me. Practical advice today. The first thing, and it always goes back to this. Don't put it up yet, Xander. Someone literally told me, they said, this point is in almost every one of your messages. It is. Because self-awareness is king. I am convinced in life you will never move forward until you put the point up, accept the process. You've got to accept where you are. An alcoholic never gets clean until they accept they're an alcoholic. Ever. A drug addict never gets clean until they accept they're a drug addict. A marriage never gets better until you accept, man, what role do I play? in getting this marriage better. Finances never get better until you accept the fact that you don't know how to manage money. Don't matter. I just need more money. No, you don't. That's why so many football players and basketball players go bankrupt. It's just another zero. You buy a $10,000 car, they buy a $100,000 car. You buy a $300,000 house, they buy a $3 million house. You don't got a money problem, you got a spending problem. You've got to accept the process. You've got to accept the fact that you're a miserable human being because you allow yourself to be a miserable human being. I believe, I believe, it, the Bible backs this up. I believe science backs it. I believe happiness is a choice. You decide to be happy. You make the decision to be happy. You've got to accept the process, though, of sometimes... Life is not always going to be great. One of the things that's amazing to me about Paul is he's in prison. Let me repeat that again. He's in prison. He ain't in county jail. I did a long, hard stint one time of eight hours in the Panama City Beach Jail, handcuffed to a handicap bar. You don't go through hard time like that without it changing you. Change you, man. You eat that bologna sandwich? Mm. The bologna sandwich is what changes you. In the middle of that, he understood, I'm in prison. 
He just had his teeth kicked in, if you go back a few verses. Yet there's no whining. No feeling sorry for himself. No talking about how life was unfair. Paul understood the process. Paul realized something that would do us, especially the North American church, well. Why would he not expect to go through hard times? See, we have a gospel that's being preached in most churches that says when you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, everything becomes great. You'll never have a problem again. The problem is that doesn't line up with this book. The Bible says in this world you will have trouble. In life you're going to go through hard times. Let me encourage you today. There will be a lot of times in life where life sucks. You can fight it. It don't change the fact that it sucks. You can whine about it. It won't change the fact. You can gripe about it. You can wallow in it. You can get down in the manure and roll around it like you're a pig. Or you can accept it. It's called life. How long have we been married, Christine? Seven years? We've been through some stuff in seven years, but we're good right now. Make sure we're good. Like, you don't get mad when I come home. You know, I like grabbing your butt and stuff. We're good. But let me tell you something I know about being married to Christine. Not because it's Christine. There'll be a time we won't be so good. That's life. There will be a time where she doesn't get happy that I come home because she's mad at me about something. She'll be wrong, but she'll be mad about something. There will be something that happens. I have a feeling that it will be over our 14-year-old daughter and the way she dresses. Because I think she should have to wear triple extra-large shirts, pants that come four inches past her knees, sleeves, full ski mask, everywhere she goes. Christine doesn't feel that way. So it's coming. It's brewing. Guess what? That's just life. It's called marriage. That job you have, guess what? You're loving it now. There's going to be something that comes along, and it's going to make you hate it. It's called life. You've got to accept the process. There's going to be hard time. If it was God's will that once you became a Christian, you'll just prosper, then we'd all be rich. It's not God's purpose. Man, you've got to accept the process. I saw a preacher the day said, God wants you to be a victor in all your relationships. There's going to be some relationships that suck. Someone in life is going to stab you in the back. You're going to stab someone in the back. You don't want to. It just happens. You're going to do someone wrong. What's the old saying? You're a, everybody's a villain of somebody's story. You've got to accept the process. God doesn't want you to feel pain. We tell that to the Christian who has cancer. It's not true. There's going to be hard times in this life. God doesn't want you to be a victim. Was Jesus ever victimized? Of course he was. They crucified him. You've got to accept the process. You've got to accept that there's going to be hard times along the way. Paul understood this. This was not how Paul would have written his story. I don't think Paul wanted to end up in prison. But he knew fighting about it, complaining about it, griping about it wasn't going to change it. So he accepted the process. And in accepting the process, he began the process of realizing where true happiness comes from. So after we accept the process, we're going to gain perspective in our suffering. It's amazing that once you accept something, that you're able to step back, breathe, and look at it with fresh eyes. I don't know why you're going through what you're going through right now, but when you're fighting against it, you'll never find that answer out. Philippians 1.14, because of my chains, more of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. 
They say hindsight's twenty twenty. They say it because it's true. When you look back, you see everything. Five years out of that hard time, you look back and see all the answers to it. You understand why you went through it and you learned from it. But it shouldn't take five years if we would accept it and step back in the middle of it. Begin to ask logical questions in the middle of it. What am I trying to learn at this time? What is the perspective I need to have about this job that I don't like? What is this perspective about the circumstances that I don't like? What is the perspective of this relationship with this person that I don't like? Why is this going on? What is God trying to teach me in the midst of this? It's amazing what God will reveal to you. He said, man, I don't want to be here, but I'm one man. He goes, because I'm in here, all the brothers and sisters, most of the brothers and sisters are now spreading the gospel. He said, I'm just one man, but because I'm in here now, there's 30 out there spreading the gospel. There's 100 out there spreading the gospel. There's 1,000 out there spreading the gospel. They're doing more than I could do. I did a hard time in social media jail last week. It was hard. I went through withdrawals, shaking. Here's the bad thing about it. They tease you because you have access to Facebook. You can read everything. It even has the comment button. I went to comment about 15 different times, Brandon. It was hard, brother. I know you were praying for me through it. I'd hit send and it'd be, boom, you're banned from Facebook. It was just like a big stone cold salute right in the middle. Then why'd you let me type it out? It was hard. Hard time. People I thought my friends are gossiping about me. I can't access things. I can't communicate. It was rough. I was frustrated. It was festival week. I'm like, man, I got to talk about the festival. The funny thing about that, though, I'm only one person. Because I was doing hard time. My wife made a post about me doing hard time. Put a picture of the festival up there and told everybody about the festival and asked them to share it. And it was shared and that was shared and this was shared. And all the shares out there, 617 times. I'm only one person. Had I not been in the slammer eating digital bologna sandwiches, I'd only been able to post about it one time. But people came along and they started spreading the message. And it went out 617 times to all those people's networks. Got to gain perspective in it. I didn't want to do hard time. I didn't want to eat the bologna sandwich and drink the dirty water. But the message went out more. This is what Paul said. He said, man, I'm talk- he's talking about something important. Jesus, I'm talking about a festival. He said, man, I'm only one person. But because I'm in here, everybody's spreading the message now. <laughs> Amazing. We step back and we have an honest look at our lives sometimes or our suffering. We begin to gain the perspective. So we're going to gain perspective in it. The next time I'm going to go through these fast. We're going to discover God's purpose in your suffering. Make no mistake about it. In your suffering is a purpose. You will not see it at the time. You will not understand it at the time. It will not make sense at the time, especially if you're fighting it. But when you step back and begin to gain perspective, you begin to discover the purpose in it. I love this. Let me show you God's purpose in it. Paul, from the time he got saved, always wanted to go to Rome. And preach the gospel. Rome was like the New York City. It was the Mecca. He wanted to go to the Mecca and tell people about Jesus, but God would never release him to go there. The circumstances never worked out where he would go there. He would go off there and he'd be in a shipwreck. He'd go there, he'd get arrested. He couldn't get to Rome. So it seemed like the dream was dying until Paul gets put in prison in Rome. And because of Paul's imprisonment in Rome, where he always wanted to go, 
people all over Rome were preaching the gospel. Some were preaching it for the right reasons, and some were preaching it for the wrong reasons, but it was being preached. Look what he says, Philippians 1. And because of my change, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for while I'm in change, but what does it matter? I don't care if they're stirring up trouble for me. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. And Paul had to be one of the most selfless people ever. He said, I don't care if they're talking smack about me. The bottom line is they're talking smack about me, but they're preaching Christ. I had someone come to me and said, I've heard a lot of bad things about you. I said, have you? He said, yeah, I'm thinking about checking out your church because of it. Cool. Come on. I got over people saying bad things about me a long time ago. I want to make sure that dude meets Jesus. I hope he comes through here. I hope he's loved. I hope he feels family here and welcomed here. I hope he meets Jesus here. If he meets Jesus because someone says something bad about me, win, win, good, cool. <laughs> Paul was able to find happiness in the circumstances because instead of focusing on his problems, he focused on God's purpose. God wanted the gospel spread in Rome. He wanted to use Paul to spread it in Rome, but he didn't use Paul the way Paul wanted to be used. He used him in a more effective way. Sometimes the suffering comes. Sometimes the suffering comes. Sometimes the suffering comes in a way that we don't understand, but it advances God's purposes in it. I want you to realize that your suffering isn't permanent. The suck doesn't last forever. The suck sucks when it's sucking. But when it's done sucking, it's over. I dig how Paul closes out this chapter. He said, how could he have happiness in the midst of a circle? Because he realized his situation wasn't permanent. Your situation is not permanent. I don't want to show hands because someone will try to be smart aleck and contradict me. But I guarantee you, if you went back 10 years ago and looked at what your problems were 10 years ago, very few of those problems still exist today. And if they do exist, you're now not married to them. So they ain't your problem. I want you to look back three years ago. I don't even remember what was happening three years ago. But I know what was happening three years ago and it ain't happening today. I want you to look back a year ago. My problems were way different a year ago than they are today. A year ago, I was wondering if I was ever going to be able to put on another event again, which is what supports my family. You know what I'm wondering now? You know what I stressed about all week? Was too many people going to come to my event that I couldn't hold them all? Problems change. Your suffering isn't permanent. Your, your suffering stinks when it's happening. But it's not permanent. Look how he closes it out. He says, hey, I get it. At the end of the day, for to me to live is Christ. He said, if I live, I get to spread the message of Jesus Christ, I win. But to die is gain. He said, but if I die in prison, guess what? I gain heaven. I gain the place I'm preaching about. Paul was smoking what he was selling. He wasn't preaching about heaven and not wanting to go there. He said, man, if I live, I get to preach Christ, and if I die, I get heaven. Win, win, I can't lose. He said, but eventually this suffering is going to be over. He said, if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. He said, I don't even know. Do I want to live and preach the gospel, or do I want to die and go see Jesus? He said, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's far more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know I'll remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and your joy in the faith. Hard times are going to come. Accept them. When you accept them, you can gain perspective in them. When you gain perspective in them, you will begin to realize God's purpose in them. And just realize that those hard times that you're dealing with, they're not going to last. They're going to pass.
So choose happiness. Later on, we see a verse where Paul's been beaten, spit upon, knocked, teeth knocked out, and about to be thrown in prison again. And all he has to do is renounce Christ. The king, King Agrippa, looks at him and says, what do you have to say for yourself? I'm gonna, he says, I'm going to give you a day to ponder on it. Paul says, I don't need to ponder on it. Paul said, I think myself happy. He said, you just kicked my teeth in, I'm happy. You just spit on me, I'm happy. You're fixing to behead me. I think myself happy. I choose happiness. Happiness is a choice. It's not always an easy choice. I don't want to sit here and blow smoke and tell you that it's always easy. If it was easy, everyone would be happy. Sadness is easy. Self-pity is easy. Wallowing is easy. Easy. Matter of fact, people will like you more when you're miserable because misery loves company. You ever get happy and people get jealous? How many people say, man, I lost my friends when I met, got married? Met the person I love and they, they just left. They can't stand to see you happy because they're not happy. Happiness is a choice. How do we do it? Accept it. Gain perspective in it. Find God's purpose in it, in the suffering. Because you've got to change your outlook on your suffering if you're going to choose happiness. The suffering's part of life. I'm never going to meet someone. Maybe, maybe not. I, I, maybe not. I don't know. There's a lot of people stay single their whole life. But can I tell you something? All you single people out there, yep. once you find that other person and the shine wears off, they're not going to make you happy either. You got to make yourself happy. They're like a shiny new car. Got that new car smell. You don't eat in it. You know, you don't drink in it. But then you're in a hurry one day and you let the kid drink a juice box in it. And they spill something in it. And then it's no holds barred, man. It's just an old car. You still love the car, but it don't necessarily bring you happiness anymore. I love my truck, but my truck don't bring me happiness. My truck hauled about 150 bags of beer trash yesterday and barbecue. It smells like death. Christine literally walked up to me and was like, whoa, walked away. I'm, I expect to go out there and there'll be flies all around it. When will you get it washed? When I got time, probably three weeks from now. That truck don't bring me happiness whether it's clean or dirty. It's a thing. You choose happiness. And the choice is yours. Let's pray.